The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Really looking forward to chatting with our first guest today. And I just want to set this up for you a little bit. So about uh, seven years ago, there was a deadly shooting at a sick temple in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Six people were killed by a white supremacist. In the days that followed, the son of the temple leader who was killed met and agreed to work with a former skinhead leader with the goal of combating hate. Together, they have started the organization called Serve to Unite, wrote a book called The Gift of Our Wounds, and now tour together sharing their message of unity. That reformed skinhead leader, Arno Michaelis, joins us in studio. Arno, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I I have to tell you, every time I say those words, I say white supremacist or skinhead, like it, it, it's like a kick in the gut for me. It's it's really hard to say those words. How Mm. hard is it for you to have me still describe you that way? That's an awesome question. And first off, it speaks volumes for your character that you find those words that disturbing because I, tragically, I don't think everyone does. Uh, for me, it is it is a challenge. I, I hope to be uh, known as a, a speaker, author, filmmaker, educator, which is really what I do in my day-to-day job. But all that work is qualified and, and informed and kind of put into context and perspective by my past as a, a former white supremacist. And a lot of times people don't hear the former part yeah <laughs> which I, I can understand but that former really has to be front and center because that's important you know i have to ask uh, because when we uh, saw this book and i'm just going to be honest with you I, I didn't want to have you on the show sure <laughs> i didn't want to share a room with you sure um now i know that you know your attitudes have changed um but the question i've always wanted to ask someone like you right. is how is it possible to even get through life with so much hate in your heart uh, it sucks. It's it's a miserable way to live, and and I don't blame you one bit. Um, I I would not be fond of the idea of, of sharing a room with uh, someone who's uh, believes those things. And working with a lot of other formers, uh, actually, last night I was working with a, a young man here in Edmonton who's he's been out a few years, but he's looking for guidance to get out. Um, but the, the, it's important to understand that being terrified of the world around you every waking moment, whether it's self-induced or otherwise is is a miserable way to live. And that's essentially what being a white supremacist is all about. So what changed it for you then? Was it this incident? No, I to give you a timeline, I, I left hate groups in 1994. So uh, it was after seven years. And being a man of extremes, I went from being a white power skinhead to being a raver. <laughs> and I spent a good another seven years going to rave parties on the south side of Chicago, which honestly are the polar opposite of uh, where I was. And that, that was a real important transformative experience for me, but it wasn't until I quit drinking uh, in 2004, started writing in 2007, that led me to share my story in 2010 publicly for the first time. So, Arno, I'm compl- a little bit different than Andrew on this one um, because I was really looking forward to, to this because I have so many questions for you. Mm-hmm. And I just want to backtrack a little bit. You talked about, you know, being scared and, you know, living in this world. How did that start? Because when we see things now, I always wonder, how does one person become so hate-fueled? We're not born with hatred in us. I think we're, we, we learn it, we're, we're taught it, um, things around us impact us. How did that happen for you? 
I, I agree entirely. I, I don't think anyone's born with that hate in their heart. In my case, uh, I grew up in a nice house, nice neighborhood. I had everything I needed. I never went hungry, never took a beating. My parents were together. They loved me very much. I had a ton of affirmation from the world around me. But I grew up in an alcoholic household, and my parents' relationship was miserable. My mom was constantly stressed out, trying to keep uh, things in order, get the bills paid. And that was what made me miserable as a kid, and I started lashing out at other kids at a very early age and, and started to get a kick out of it. Like, this became mm. my drug, my addiction. And, and all that being said, I, I don't believe there's ever a circumstance that makes hating and hurting people okay. It's never an excuse, but that is the reason. And and today that I'm grown and I've been fortunate to travel a lot, I've, I understand that there are probably literally billions of children on the planet Earth who would feel like they won the lottery if they switched childhoods with me. But the fact is, is I that was my suffering as a kid, and that's how I poorly responded to it and gave this habit to lash out and repulse people that I practiced my entire childhood. So by the time I'm 16... I'm a full-blown alcoholic myself. I'd been violent since I was a little kid. I I get off on repulsing people and, and uh, lashing out at civil society, and nothing repulses people like a swastika. So you just you kept taking it to the extreme. It was extremes for you as far as you could take it. Exactly. And did, did it, you ever hurt anybody? I, I hurt far too many people, more than I can count. Um, I I drank very heavily back then, I, that, which again is not an excuse, no. but I mention it because. I was honestly blacked out for so much time that I don't even know how many people I hurt. Well, thank you for your honesty, first off. I, I appreciate that. And I know I, we want to get to this next part, but I think it's <laughs> right. important because yeah. very rarely would we ever have an opportunity sure. to talk to somebody with your and, background. And before we do, just one more question, if you don't sure. mind, uh, on this. So being a member of a supremacist group... The, is found, it, the founder of it. Yeah, wow. Is it about pushing an agenda? Is it about finding other people who will accept and make you a member or just you know feeling like you belong somewhere or is it hatred or is it just being wanting to be shocking as you just said like which of those drives you or drove you I should there's say there's really elements of, of all the above uh, we were really first of all we are looking for warm bodies back then the more people we can get in one place and point say this is how big our group is uh, the more powerful we feel and the more powerful we look but really what we're doing is we're tapping into fear and we're tapping into suffering. If if I was if I met some white kid who's like in good shape and he's happy and well adjusted, like I, I would have a really hard time twisting his mind to mm. come join my gang. Whereas I would look for white kids who were suffering, a kid who feels left out, who's bullied, or a kid who doesn't have a girlfriend. And, and then would you job. just identify an enemy for that individual? Absolutely. And just say, this is why we're uniting, because we hate this, even if you don't specifically have a great reason to hate this? Right. I, I, would, I would identify their pain point. So if the kid doesn't have a girlfriend, I'm going to say, you know why you don't have a girlfriend is because the Jews put all these black basketball players on billboards and TV to make white women think that they're the ideal man. And that's why you don't have a girlfriend. Never mind you don't take showers and you're drunk all the time and you don't yeah, go to yeah. work. But like, it, it's much yeah. easier for anybody to blame someone else for their shortcomings, for the work they got to do, than it is to look inward and do that work. And we prayed upon that over and over again. Huh. So, Arno, how how did you change? How, how did you get out? How did you stop it? 
I was very fortunate that all sorts of things fell into place to, to lead me to a point where after seven years, I'm like looking for an excuse to get out. And the main, the common thread of all these things falling into place was exhaustion. I was exhausted kind of from the get-go because I, I It's got to be exhausting to hate. That's what it's, it's, it's miserable. It yeah. literally sucks the life out of you. And I knew deep down that what I was doing was wrong. It was a horrible thing to hate people, a horrible thing to attack people. But I didn't have the courage to face that voice, much less answer it. And so I'm constantly expending energy trying to deny this inner knowledge of my wrongness. That's exhausting. It was exhausting to cut myself off from the rest of society, which you have to do when you adopt like a fundamental violent extremist narrative that says everything out of Hollywood is a Jewish propaganda plot to kill white people as is TV, radio, news. Mm -hmm. This is all pre-internet, but the same thing applies nowadays. Um, and I've been, a, I'm like a lifetime film, TV, music, sports nerd. Uh, so that was difficult for me. But what was most exhausting was when people I claimed to hate defied my hostility by treating me with kindness. And I was mm. very fortunate that time after time during that seven years that happened. There was people like a Jewish boss, a lesbian supervisor, black and Latino co-workers who were refuse to capitulate to hmm. my hostility by reflecting, which is what I was trying to provoke. That must have ticked you off. Yeah, no it kidding. Did. It, it really did. So you met your speaking partner, Pardeep Kalika, after a white supremacist, actually I'm not even going to mention his name, but a white supremacist killed um, Kalika's father and five others. Mm -hmm. Now, this fellow had taken inspiration, from what I understand, from a version of the white supremacist group that you had founded. So... How did that phone call happen? I'm a number of questions. Did you you must have felt guilty about that? How did the meeting happen? And and what was that first meeting like? Sorry, I'm throwing all sorts of questions well, at no you. No problem at all. I was uh, so I was a founding member of one that went on to become the largest organized white power skinhead gang on the planet Earth. There was members on every continent but Antarctica, mm -hmm. and the the murderer was a member of that gang. I, I didn't know him personally, but he was in every way exactly who I used to be. And and because of that, I, then as now, I feel a, a great responsibility to be accountable for this atrocity when no one else will be, and also an urgency to respond and to help transform it into something that helps people heal. Uh, Party reached out to me um, via email. We connected through a organization we're both part of called Against Violent Extremism Network, which is a worldwide network of former violent extremists like myself and survivors like Party. And uh, he sent me an email. We exchanged phone numbers, texted a little bit, had a real kind of awkward, halting phone call. <laughs> <laughs> and then we agreed to uh, meet for dinner. And uh, if you guys are in Milwaukee and we're going to go out to eat, like I'm going to say, let's go to East on Tai Lao on, on the east side of Milwaukee because that's my favorite restaurant. And when I suggested that to party, but actually set him at ease quite a bit okay. because he was worried that, you know, maybe I really didn't get out. And then when I said Thai food, he's like, well, you know, white people in general can't handle spicy food. And so for sure, a white supremacist wouldn't yeah. suggest Thai food. But I, I was intimidated as well. I, I, I felt like nothing I said could, would be enough. Like, there, what could I say or do for this man whose father was murdered by one of my guys, and, and not to mention five other wonderful uh -huh. people? And um, I, I was just worried that I, I couldn't be good enough for him. 
Well, you can't change the past, but you can change the future. So what are you doing now in the future? Today, Pardeep and I run an organization called Surf to Unite, as, as you guys mentioned. Surf to Unite does arts-driven service learning and global engagement with young people from second grade through college. In the past couple of years, we've also started consulting with small towns and municipalities that are going through like demographic shift. And that's one of the, the biggest factors driving not just far-right white supremacist extremism, but polarization in general in our society is fear. And uh, fear of change is just kind of the human condition. So we, we want to help people find peace with change, specifically with change when uh, a large Hindu population is moving into a predominantly white Christian town. Like, we're going to go there and sit and talk with everyone and and really try to, to foster the idea that diversity is a, a beautiful thing and, and that the town's going to be better off with uh, with this these new neighbors than they would have been otherwise. Arno, it seems that we're seeing, it, well, in my opinion anyway, that we're seeing uh, more hate, more backlash against different cultures. Um, I'm curious to know if you feel the same way, or has it just always been there and it's been thrust back into the spotlight again? Or do you believe that there's been a resurgence? I mean, I, I think over the past couple of years, we've certainly we've seen it on TV, we've, mm. we've reported it on the news. Yeah, I, in, so in Sikhi, there's a, a principle called Chardikala, which means rising spirit. It, it could be translated as relentless optimism, actually. And it was really like embodied by Pardeep and his family and the Sikh community after their, their place of worship was attacked in this horrible crime. It's easy to be optimistic when things are going great. Mm. It's difficult, but probably most important to be optimistic when you're facing your greatest challenges of your life. And I think that goes for our society as well. And so follow Following Pardeep's example and the example set by the Sikh faith, uh, I am relentlessly optimistic. I refuse to give up my faith in humanity. I refuse to give up the idea that we as a human species, a human race, are progressing steadily throughout our history. But it's always been kind of a two-step forward, one-step back kind of thing. And again, the reason for that is is because we as human beings like inherently fear change. And the pace of change is accelerating. Um, not just technology, but uh, demographics, migration. It's Everything's happening faster than it ever happened before. And taking that into account, I think it makes sense that, that people are, there, there's more fear today because the change is happening farther. Mm. Mm. Has there been any repercussions from your former uh, group members to you doing this? Yeah, they, they send me nasty emails once in a while, but um, <laughs> I'm not really impressed by emails. I Back in the day, like if I was coming for you, the last thing I'm going to do is send you an email first. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I shouldn't laugh at that. I know, but, but it's, it's, uh, it's the truth. Yeah. Uh, so when I get nasty emails, uh, I, uh, it really just says to me that's all they got. They're trying to be tough guys from behind a keyboard, and that's, that's not going to intimidate me. Do you run into people who don't believe your message don't believe that you've changed i i do here and there uh it's and, and it's uh, um it's a fraction of the people that i meet and first of all I, I i'd never begrudge anyone who feels that way i've done horrible things i've, I've done things that people should doubt me they they have every reason not to believe me so i take that as a 
positive challenge and I, I I'm mindful of that all the time and and with that in mind I try to be the best person I can be um, not just in the work that I do but it, you know in my day-to-day life so sorry yeah I just wanted to say interesting it, hates an interesting thing to me <laughs> I, I want to read you a text sure Phil from Grand Prairie Andrew you self-righteous sanctimonious uh, I can't say the word. We'll say pig. Uh, didn't want to even share a studio with this guy. Who is the one manifesting hate? Hate. Open your mind and hurt a little. But you're here. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't stand in the way of it, and I found right. this very enlightening. And I couldn't be a hypocrite and say, this is a guy who didn't open his mind to other people's thoughts, so I'm not going to open my mind to his. Absolutely. You're here. We're talking. We're two. We're, we're foot from each other. Absolutely. What do you make of that kind of text? That's the same kind of thing. It's just it, it perpetuating is. hate. Well, and, and it's interesting. First of all, I appreciate your honesty. I, I'd much rather have someone like, let's put all that on the open yeah. when we meet each other and not be, you know, maneuvering around. But that, that text, I, I think, uh, and while... I think I think his intention was good. He, yeah. he was like kind of stepping up for me, but the word hate is thrown about so liberally nowadays. And I, and sometimes I think we don't really think about what hate means. And to me, the most succinct definition I've heard of hate was a, a self-described communist who told me he would never have an ounce of compassion for a Nazi. And I was like, well, I can't blame you, but that that willful denial of compassion is a pretty succinct definition of hate. To say, I could see you suffering and not care one bit. Like, that's hate. Mm. So, are you really hateful by being honest about your feelings? I I don't think that's hateful. Can we pause this right here? Arno, can you stay for about five more minutes? Can you stick around for a few more minutes? Because I think we have a couple more questions. Hold on a second. We'll continue with Arno Michaelis right after this. All right, uh, we're going to continue this uh, fascinating conversation that we're having with Arno Michaelis. Now, um, if you're just tuning in, um, Arno is doing great work now. Him and his partner, Party Kalika, um, have started an organization, and it's been going on for a while now. It's called Serve to Unite. Uh, they've written a book called The Gift of Our Wounds, and now tour together, sharing their mis- message of unity. The way they came together, though, is, is heart-wrenching and it is uh, something, unfortunately, that we have been seeing more and more uh, over the years. Now, Arno is... Again, I hate saying this, but it is how it is. It's, he's a, a reformed white supremacist. In fact, he was the founder of what he described uh, in our last segment as the largest white supremacist group in the world with... Uh, uh, skinhead uh, Skinhead, sorry, skinhead. What's the difference between skinhead and white supremacist? Well, I, first of all, not all skinheads are racist. It, it, at first, it was what? kind of what? seriously. Really? Yeah, it was just kind of a like football hooligan counterculture thing. And the first skinheads listened to reggae and and counted uh, among them West Indian people and Pakistani people. It wasn't until the the late seventies that the British National Party started like recruiting amongst the white skinheads and telling them like, well, the reason you're on the dole is because of that guy from the West Indies, and he's got to go. So um, it's important to understand not all skinheads are racist, but uh, uh, the organization I was involved with was a neo-Nazi skinhead organization. Okay. So um, we were white supremacists, we were neo-Nazis, we were very, very, very violent, um, and we shaved our heads and wore boots and had the whole like skinhead kit and caboodle. 
but uh, that there is a you know that's just like a kind of a cosmetic difference between like the Klan or the <laughs> some neo-Nazi party or whatever. It's all like the same fear and ignorance behind it. it it's really just uh, we shaved our heads and wore boots. You know, I have to ask, and I I, I want to craft this question in such a way as to not lead you to any logical conclusion. You are an American. Tell me what you think about what's going on in American politics right now. I I think our hugest challenge in the United States, and this is common in a lot of countries nowadays, is political polarization. It's uh, essentially this pendulum that it goes. It swings left one time, and then it goes swinging farther right the next time. And and you can see it right now. There are far left elements of the Democratic Party that are trying to draw. They want to get as far left as they can, which of course feeds the far right. And I, I don't think political extremism of any flavor is a healthy thing. I think uh, I'm a political moderate myself, and, and because of that, I was a huge fan of Barack Obama and still am. Um, I, I think it, the biggest challenge is to sit down and talk with people who you disagree with vehemently. And once you get to either political poll, this idea that like we're the good guys, you're the bad guys, we're oppressed, you're the oppressor, we're trying to make things better, you're trying to destroy things, they'll say you know these same things to each other. Uh, it's 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 a real difficult proposition to get a conversation started. But I think the the way to do that is to just try to introduce the possibility of uncertainty. Because certainty is the hallmark of, of polarization. If, if you're polarized, you are certain that your position is, <laughs> is the moral high ground. And if you can just get somebody to say, like, I don't know about something, <laughs> now you got some room to, to make a connection. A little bit of wiggle room. Yeah. You, you, were, you were mentioning that, um, so uh, you and Pardeep were in, in Calgary a couple nights ago speaking mm-hmm. at Mount Royal. You came up to watch the Oilers game last night. You're heading off uh, to spend a couple of days in the mountains now. But you, you had said that you were talking with someone in Edmonton who's trying to get out of um, the organization that they're involved in. Right. And... Um, you know, I think some of us know that those organizations um, are operating in our city um, at whatever level they are. I'm curious how, what does that conversation look like when someone wants to get out and you're guiding them, you're, you're offering some advice? What are those steps? It's, it's interesting because there's all these parallels to addiction. And mm. being an alcoholic, I, the, the parallels are very plain to me. But in the sense, uh, following that, that parallel, in the same way that um, you're not going to go into like a bumping nightclub at midnight on Saturday night when everybody's like whooping it up and be like, hey guys, quit drinking. <laughs> you're not going to get a lot of takers at that point, but it's it's the next day when, you know, it's, dude, where's my car for the umpteenth time or a car accident or yeah. uh, uh, jail or rape or an STD or something horrible happens when somebody's like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And, and you need that same rock bottom to happen for somebody who's in hate groups. Like, I... All I can do for people who are vehement haters now is just, like, do my thing and talk to you guys and, like, be as big of a platform as I can because when they hear it, 
whether they like it or not, they see the possibility of changing their lives. And, and as vehement as they may be, that like, I'm not changing nothing, there's a part inside of them going, hey, he did it. You can do it, too. Hmm. So you know, I, I, I've gone planting from... planting a seed, right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I've gone from doubting that you've changed to <laughs> doubting that you were a white supremacist. So. <laughs> Mission accomplished. You, 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 well, as you said, there's a, now you've put so much doubt in my mind now. I'm fascinated by this conversation. So do you offer that service that Jay Lynn's just talked about? Can people reach out to you and say, I need your guidance to get out of this? Yeah, absolutely. I, we talked about hate mail earlier, and I'm happy to say that over the uh, almost decade I've been doing this, I've gotten slightly more correspondence from people inside hate groups looking for guidance to get out than I have hate mail. And hmm. and that's um, over the years, I always kind of did it ad hoc and just through correspondence and, and in between raindrops. Um, as my day job has really been working with young people of all backgrounds and trying to do prevention of violent extremism rather than intervention. But uh, recently, I, I've fundraised a little bit to the point where I can actually. But my trip, my others game was funded <laughs> by my GoFundMe. Uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah, you know, sorry about that, by the way. <laughs> I, yeah, I know it would have been great. I, McDavid. Uh, like a bunch of points, so that was cool to see him play. But um, I, b- because I, I get financial support to do this, I can come and meet guys in person now. Whereas before, it would just be Facebook messaging or a phone call. It's it's a it's means a lot to have FaceTime with somebody. And just this guy I was talking to last night, he's like he's been out for a while, mm-hmm. but he's just he's having a hard time readjusting. He, he's okay. lonely, like things aren't working out in his life, paying yeah. bills and things All like that. All your buddies are not around exactly, anymore. Yeah. Exactly. So just to, just to hang out with them, take them to a hockey game and and just talk for a while afterwards and and when i dropped them off last night i'm like hey man you know just know that i got your back and i'm rooting for you and i'm here for you to talk to you and and that's what it boils down to how do you have a a relationship how do you date (laughs) and and i'm just Uh, curious what that conversation like there's you know what does that look like it's it's funny because obviously people are like what do you do (laughs) oh i'm a well, real quick, you connect two dots, and the former white supremacist thing comes up. Which uh, some I, I've dated people who were kind of like turned off by that, and, but most people think it's pretty cool. But it, it just pretty my, cool that you you're out of it. And yeah, thought, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I I don't know that I'd date someone who <laughs> was disappointed that I left. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it, it, I think the biggest obstacle to me dating is is my travel schedule. I, yeah. I'm on the road mm-hmm. six months a year, all over the place. And um, it's it's difficult to have a romantic relationship with someone. And, and I'm a I'm not a, like a player really. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not a big womanizer. I, I prefer like monogamous uh, relationships. So hmm. it's, it's a challenge to do. That. do. Do you ever find yourself slipping back into old ways? Uh, I I do, but only in the sense of just anger management. Like I that time I did in the rave scene, like really cured me of uh, thinking I was superior to anybody else, thinking I was different of, uh, than other people. And everything I've done since, like on a daily basis, is really just revealing the oneness of humanity that uh, in the Sikh faith they call it Ikonkar. Um, and, and that's very ingrained in me. But the challenge I do face, and I'll face this for the rest of my life, is for the first 25 years of my life, my response to conflict was violence. Like instantly, 
I, I was not like a tough talker. If, if there was a conflict back in the day, I would just throw a punch. Yeah. And to, to this day, if I'm driving and somebody's <laughs> like, you guys are so nice here in Canada. You're all so polite. And I, <laughs> the people let you in the lane. And it's like, I haven't even had a road rage incident here. But um, in the States, of course, it's, it gets a little more high strung. And, and so it, I'm just using it as an example. Like I'll have somebody cut me off and I'm just like, there's always a split second where I'm just like, you know, you just drag that dude out of his car and beat the uh. mess out of him. Like, th- there's part of me that like wants to go there instantly. And unfortunately, I'm a Buddhist and I meditate, so I can I take a breath and I disconnect myself from that anger and that from that impulse, and then I'm able to to ask myself, like, first of all, I don't know why that guy's driving like that. Maybe mm. his kid's in the hospital or something. Mm. Like, I don't know. Maybe he is just a jerk. But either way, I don't know. So why is it worth my energy to mm-hmm. really get upset? You know the one thing that doesn't make sense to me, and I'm just trying to figure it out. Sure. I feel like hate is the playground of idiots. And yeah. you're, you're clearly a very bright guy. Oh, thank you. So is it just the drugs and the alcohol, the upbringing? I mean, well, I, you're smart enough yeah. to have been better than that. Yeah. And, and that was, honestly, I think in my personal perfect storm of, of all this, going back to when I was a little kid, um, when I had all these adults around me telling me how wonderful and gifted I was, but inside I was suffering because of my mom's pain, I, I just kind of, this is all like Monday morning psychoanalysis, yeah. but I, I was just like, I think I was like, I'm not wonderful. And if you don't believe me, like, watch what I'm going to do to this kid. Mm-hmm. Watch what I'm going to do to your classroom. Watch what I'm going to do to your school. And and I just, I got in that habit. So I, I wasn't any less intelligent when I was mixed up in all this, but I was doing really stupid things. And I think the, the explanation for it, and again, this is a reason, not an excuse, but the explanation was that I, I failed to process my suffering in a healthy way. And that's, if, if you look at anybody who's gone wrong in any kind of way, whether it's violent extremism or substance abuse or any kind of self-harm, it's it's really like they're hurting and they didn't get that wound cleaned and dressed in a, in a proper way. Uh, <laughs> we need to take a break here. Uh, final thoughts with Arnold Michaelis right after this. Arnold Michaelis joining us in studio and just bluntly a former white supremacist doing great things in the world now, you know, talking about unity and bringing people together was just speaking Mount Royal um, and is going to be back through here hopefully again soon and what an opportunity to speak to you and pick your brain on this. Someone wanted to know about tattoos um, and I had asked that earlier off air um, but I'm guessing at one point you had a lot of swastikas and that sort of stuff. What are they now? I've had all of my white power tattoos either covered up or removed. Yeah. And um, I, I still... Getting tattoos, uh, last one I got was in Denmark. I got Higley on yep. my fingers here, which uh, is, is kind of like a spiritual, physical, emotional sense of coziness. Okay. And um, the tattoo I got before that was also in Denmark, and it was a couple days after the Orlando shooting, so I got these rainbow hearts mm-hmm. to kind of commemorate that. But all, all of my white power tattoos have been covered up or removed, except for one small, obscure one, which I showed you guys, which will be covered up shortly. Thank God you left the group before you got the neck tattoo, eh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, before we we let you go um, again, uh, the book. Uh, if you want to read more about this, is is um, oh my gosh, I just lost a gift to a gift of our wounds. The gift of our wounds. The website is thegiftofourwounds.com. W- website is actually gift of our. Sorry, wounds. thank com. you. Gift of our wounds. The book com. is the gift of our. Okay, wounds. Mm. what before in wrapping up. Um, 
what do you want our listeners to know about the message and the work that you and, and Pardeep are doing? I would like people to know that uh, things are going to be all right. That, that there's way more to be inspired by in this world than there is to be terrified by. And uh, what we find is really up to us. I, I think of all the things I've learned in my journey, one of the most powerful is just that as human beings, we literally find what we seek in life. And I, I couldn't imagine anything more amazing. If we want to find reasons to be outraged and we want to find reasons to separate ourselves from other people, we will find those left and right. But if we want to find reasons to be inspired by our fellow human beings, to feel a sense of kinship with them, and, and to be excited and empowered by diversity, we can find that also. Can, can one person make that big of a difference? Absolutely. Uh, my path was changed by, in one case, by an elderly black woman at McDonald's who told me I was better than having a swastika tattooed on my <laughs> finger. And uh, so this is a very innocuous day-to-day -day interaction. And I, I, without that act of kindness, I don't know if everything else would have fell into place. So absolutely, uh, acts of kindness that we commit between each other on our day-to-day -day lives and on an ongoing basis can really change the course of someone's life and, and all the course of everyone in their life. So, like, literally, you can change the course of humanity with an act of kindness. I truly believe that. I love that, how you talk about all of, all of these people, that people that you profess to hate were the ones that, that made you change. And, and in that case, you know, that swastika tattoo on, on, on your hand didn't repulse her. She thought you were an idiot and told you so. <laughs> right? <laughs> that, that she, 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 she said, I, she just said, I know that's not who you are. You're yeah, a better, better person, person than that. Again, giftofourwounds.com is the website. If you want to follow Arno on Twitter, it's at mylifeafterhate. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you both. It was an awesome conversation. Thanks everybody for listening. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.